Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast, episode number 35. Man, it's hard to believe we've been doing this for over a year and a half now. It just has flown by. I've had some incredible guests on and uh, just been been a lot of fun, and, and I've learned a ton of stuff, and hope you guys have enjoyed it. We uh, This episode, we're going to kind of do a season update, talk a little bit about the Africa trip, just got back from what's going on with ICO, and then finish up this question and answer period because we didn't get to all of them last time. So uh, we'll, we'll dive right in. Season update, what's happening right now. Uh, we just got back from Birmingham, Alabama at the World Deer Expo. We had a booth set up there. Me, Rendell, and Lucas ran that booth. Met a lot of cool people. Had some fun down there. Did part of a podcast down there. Sold some ICO gear. And we are leaving this Thursday to go back to the Mobile Hunter Expo in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So we're going to be pulling out early Thursday morning and then be up there till Sunday. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday show. Mobile Hunters Expo, and we did the one in Chattanooga. It was really good. That was their first one. We enjoyed that. And this one's going to be even bigger. So going to be a lot of people there, a lot of mobile guys. And, you know, that's something I haven't done a ton of is the the, uh, saddle hunting. But every single saddle, I guess every single, all the major saddle companies – are there. You can try out the saddles, uh, show you all the ropes and how everything works, the platforms, the sticks. So guys, if you're around in the Michigan area and can, can jump on over there for a day, come see us, come check out all the stuff. Uh, let's get into the Africa hunt. We had an absolute incredible time. Shot 12 animals. I shot six with my bow, and my son shot six with with his rifle. And we shot, I shot some sable, a really big kudu, a 57-inch kudu, uh, sable, 51-inch sable, which is the equivalent to a 200-plus-inch whitetail. And let's see, what else? Uh, Son shot an elan. I shot a common or regular Impala. I shot an all-black Impala. Really neat, neat-looking animal. My son shot a Nyala. Uh, let's see. what He shot a Waterbuck. And I'm trying to think. what We didn't shoot any warthogs, any bush pigs. But, we, you know, it was a, a seven-day hunt, and I got to do exactly what I wanted to do. I got to shoot the Rage Tripan broadheads into some really big animals. I actually posted a video on my Instagram, I guess, and Facebook, where I shot a, that, that really big sable at 42 or 45 yards and hit him, hit him pretty darn good. He went about 70 yards, and that, that's a big 800-pound animal. And then shot a Kudu quartering two, 
and blew through his shoulder. All the integrity of those Rage tripans was incredible. We, we lost three of them. I think we had total pass-throughs or the errors back back out, and we lost some of them. But of the three of the six I shot, we recovered – and, man, you, you couldn't tell they had even been shot. Some of them were dug out of the animals. The Skinners brought them to us. And they, they held up really well. So I guess my reservations there were, were not warranted. I will definitely be shooting the tripan going into this season. You know, we didn't have an animal other than that kudu. I, it, it was one lung on that kudu, so he went about 800 yards. But everything else dead within 70 yards. Uh, let's see if I guess if I had one reservation on the tripan, it's the penetration. And we all know that, right? The mechanical is not going to penetrate as well as the fixed blade. But having said that, I, I've got an idea of, of a mechanical head that I think will penetrate better and will be stronger, and still get the cut on contact. So when I get some free time, <laughs> what are you laughing at, Lucas? <laughs> Not a whole lot of free time, is it? <laughs> when I get some free time, I'm going to uh, potentially try my hand at, at uh, a prototype and, and maybe give it a, get it over to some boys in Africa and let them shoot a bunch of stuff with it and see how they hold up. So, um not not necessarily a news flash because I might that might be a pipe dream, but I, I've got some ideas on a on a mechanical head that I think you know may be next level, but uh, we'll save that for for, for another day. Um, so yeah, we did uh, we did Africa. Got home on Wednesday at noon. <laughs> Tried to go to sleep, you know, jet lagged. Got up the next morning, drove to Birmingham. With the booth, did the trade show, got back last night at 2 a.m., hit the office this morning, and we're going to be packing up Thursday and heading to heading up to Kalamazoo. ICO-wise, we launched our pre-sale today on all of our new gear. We've got the late-season vest. We've got the base layers. We've got the hand muff. We've got the new belt. Um, oh, we've got the new small pack, uh, mobile pack, and, man, that thing is super popular. I'm afraid we're going to sell out of those things again. We, we, we ordered a bunch of them, but, man, the, the pre-orders today are already, that seems to be the number one thing flying off the shelf are those that, that small mobile pack. So got that going. All the out-of-stock items like the late-season bibs, the early-season gloves, all that is on pre-order now. That stuff will be coming in middle to end of August, and we'll be getting it all shipped out before the season. And, man, we're at the end of July, and season here in South Carolina is is August 15th. So, I mean, like 20-something days away, and we'll be hunting, if you can believe it. That's nuts. So, going to be getting ready for that. Next weekend, I, I haven't had a weekend at home in, I don't know, it seems like two months. But uh, next weekend, I'm going to be driving to Kentucky to get a – driving all the way there to turn one stinking trail camera on. So i got to go do that. And then I'm going to shoot over to uh, southern Ohio and get out five or six trail cameras there. And then I'm coming home and getting all my stuff set in the swamp here. 
I'll put out as many cameras as I possibly can and start trying to find a, a river swamp buck to hunt August 15th. So that's kind of where we are with the season, what's going on. It's going to be here before we know it, and we're going we're gonna to do a, a better job this year of, of midweek stuff, not just the podcast, of kind of posting on the, the Instagram pages what we're doing, and we're going to film a bunch of the hunts this year. So really looking forward to that. So, guys, that's kind of a season update with us of where we are. Uh, we'll get into this question and answer stuff. We'll get these knocked out. And next week, I'm working with Don Higgins and Terry Peer with the Chasing Giants podcast. So, hopefully, we'll be doing a collab with them. And we'll be talking about what those guys are up to. Don's got a giant that he's going to be chasing. So, we'll, we'll talk about that some. And Food plot season, you know, coming up with fall food plots. We'll get into some of that stuff. But so that's what we're going to be doing next week. But this week, let's focus on these finishing up these questions. And here we go. So the first one that I didn't touch on last time is, or I hope I didn't. Lucas, you might remember this. Uh, the the one I've got that I, maybe I did answer it on the last one. I hope not. But uh, do you own farms or a farm? Do you remember that one? Yeah, I don't think I did either. All right, so the answer to that is no. I do not own a single farm. I did own half of a very small uh, small farm, 80 acres in Kansas, but we have since sold that, and I do not own any ground. I have owned a few small farms in the past, uh, nothing ever over 150 acres, but everything now is permission or like my – Good buddy Rendell Eric says, free permission. <laughs> I don't know why he calls it that, but I, that's to me, free permission. <laughs> I mean, why not just permission? I guess you could have paid permission. I don't know. But anyway, uh, permission spots. Ohio is a permission spot. Um, big farm in South Carolina is a permission spot. Kentucky, Kansas, uh, those are like a lease conglomerate say that word, where it, it's a, a buddy that own, uh, leases a bunch of ground and then I will sublease a particular farm or get access to a particular farm and go in there and hunt. And so, yeah, the, the answer to that is no, I do not own any farms. I have no problem owning a farm and hopefully one of these days I will be able to buy a really nice farm and that's a ways down the road, but but something definitely on the horizon that I look forward to doing one of these days and getting my good buddy Don Higgins to help me set that bad boy up. Uh, next question, do you hunt any public land? I used to. I used to hunt public in Mississippi. Uh, I have hunted public in some other areas, but I have not hunted public in probably 12 years Got nothing against hunting public. It's really not for me. Um, and why is that? So guys that go into public and, and kill deer, mature deer, I mean, it's a badge of honor. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, time is super important to me. And I have found, and I'm sure you guys that are religious about hunting public, uh, have found that getting disrupted by other hunters becomes an issue and a challenge on public land. You know, you go in, you scout, you find your spot, you get set up, and 7 o'clock in the morning, here comes a couple guys 
bobbling through there and, and, and wrecks you and you have to start over from scratch. And that's, that's just part of the public game and that's what makes it so hard, so challenging and so rewarding. For me, I, I don't have the time to do that. I, I like to have spots that only I can mess up and I can get in and hunt and I'm constantly trying to stack the deck in my favor to, to kill these big deer, and, and you do that on private land. You, you know, obviously, I don't think any, you know, the most anti-private land hunting guy that there is out there would agree that your chances of killing a really big deer are better on private property that doesn't get pressured. Um, and, and, and so that's why I prefer to hunt private. But again, you know, the, you don't have the pressure which makes it more challenging right so guys that go into public they're after that challenge they're wanting to compete with other hunters and, and it is a badge of honor man you roll out of a you, you live in south carolina you go to kansas hunt some public and shoot a 160 170 class deer i mean that that's incredible hats off you live in kansas you live in iowa and you go in and you you battle it out with the non-residents and you you hunt you know, you hunt public and you've got your little secret spots that, that you've figured out over the years and you kill those big deer, man, hats off to you. I, I can't say enough about that. It's just not for me. Um, I, I would I would get very, very frustrated the first time I had, which I did. I actually was one of the guys that walked up under somebody in Mississippi because we were running late to hunt this bow-only place, and I thought I had my spot figured out where nobody was going to be, and I rolled in there. And uh, there was a dude in a tree, and I'm sure I ticked him off. What are you laughing at, Lucas? Yeah, you are laughing about something. Uh, all right, so that's where we are with public uh, versus, not versus, but the question was, do you hunt any public land? Other than access, what do you think is the number one key to consistently killing mature bucks? All right, so that's a that's a good question. I'm I'm assuming when you say access, you mean having a property that has a mature buck on it, uh, not the actual access in and out of your hunting stand. So let's just take it like that. Other than having a property that has a big buck, I think the 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 key, the, the first key obviously is having a place that's got a big buck. The the second thing, I've touched on this quite a, quite a lot is you've got to look at that property and figure out what it sets up for that. That's the first thing you have to do. You know, is it an early season spot? Is it, it does it have a lot of beans, a lot of food that they're going to hit early? If you, you can hunt in velvet or, you know, right after they come out of velvet before they do the shift, you know, is it that type property? Is it a, a rut funnel type property or is it maybe conducive of late season, you know, where, where it's back on some late season food? So that's the first thing is to look at what kind of property it is. And let's say it's a 30-acre track that has this incredible bluff and five travel corridors and trails wrap around that bluff. So that's a, that sets up for a, a rut-type property. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is not hunt that thing until the rut. I'm not going to force it because the property doesn't set up for it. If I go in there early or I, I want to hunt in there late – all I'm doing is messing it up. All I'm doing is, is going in there with my scent over and over again, and the property doesn't set up for that. Just like if you had an early season spot, that you're going to be wasting your, your time hunting in there during the rut. So that's A number one, is figure out what your property is, 
set your trap for that time of the year and stay out of there, but then go and find other properties that have big deer on it that maybe if you've got a rut spot, go find you an early season spot with a bunch of ag in, say, Kentucky that comes in early. Go find you a spot there that you can hunt on some beans early season. And then maybe late season you got a spot in Ohio that you can talk to some guys about leaving some crops or you can get you some food in that's going to be standing late season. So you're stacking the deck. you got somewhere Kentucky to hunt early. You got your Kentucky. You, you got your other spot, your Kansas funnel to hunt during the rut, and then you've got your late season. So you're spreading your net wide, and you're stacking the deck. We always talk about stacking the deck. And then the, I guess the last thing is, and, and this is like beating a, a dead horse. Control what you can control. Every little thing, control it. What you, what you're shooting, your practice, your stand preps your trail cameras, everything that you can control, make sure you're super proficient, you understand it, and you're doing things the right way, and you're not taking any shortcuts. It takes a lot of hard work. I mentioned earlier I'm driving to Kentucky next weekend to turn on one stinking trail camera. And I could get somebody from out there to go turn it on for me. I could absolutely do that, and that's exposing my spot to another set of eyes, and it's just – when you find those really good spots, I like to keep them, you know, really private and really to myself. So you got to go do it. You know, it's a seven-hour drive there, then shooting over to Ohio, another seven hours, and then seven hours home. So 21 hours of driving to set up five trail cameras. I mean, that's a lot of work. But, I, you know, come rut, come late season, you know, these cameras are going to be in the right spot to hopefully get on a big deer. So that would be my that would be my advice on other than access consistently killing big deer. All right, next question: How many Boone and Crockett bucks have you shot with a bow? That's a good question. Let's see. I can look at them. They're right here in the room. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight. I've shot eight. I've shot eight bucks over 170 with my bow. Two of those are mule deer. Um, let's see. There's five over 180 and one over 200. So that answered that. Um Next, what does your hunt schedule look like this year? Yep, for this year, I am early season, man. I'm going to hunt here at home August 15th. My Kentucky spots that I had quite a bit of ag, all that got lost. So that's going to kind of be on the back burner. I'm looking at Saskatchewan. There's a buddy of mine, that guy actually I bear hunted with, has got a pretty good whitetail area that they really only rut hunt, but it's on the fringe of the bush country in Saskatchewan. But it comes up to some ag with some alfalfa, and he's going to do a little snooping around early season and and see if he sees any bachelor herds. And if he gets his eyes on any bachelor herds, I'm going to be heading up there and putting a plan together to try to kill something the 1st of September up there. But, uh, yeah, home to start with, August 15th opener. Hopefully, you know, that first week or two we can get something killed here in South Carolina, then head up to Saskatchewan. 
And then I'm kind of in a holding pattern until something pops in Kentucky, Ohio, or Kansas. I'll have cameras in all those areas waiting on something good to daylight. And that's kind of where I plan on rut hunting is in one of those three states or multiple of those states. And then late season, you know, we'll hit Texas slash Mexico and and maybe Ohio again late season. So that's going to be my schedule this year and try to be as flexible as I can and be able to bounce, you know, when you, when you got to go. So that's my schedule. If you had to shoot a fixed blade head, what would it be? Hmm. The last fixed blade heads that I shot were the iron wheel wide, and I really like the construction of the iron wheels. I've seen a lot of good stuff. Uh, those day six heads, I've heard a lot of good things about those. I did buy a pack of those cutthroat single bevels that I took to Africa with me because I thought I might shoot a buffalo or an eland, and I wanted a fixed blade head for that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I don't have any experience with those cutthroats, so I can't, can't say that. So I, I would probably go with the iron wheel, the iron wheel wide. Not a super accurate head out past 40 yards, but most of the shots on whitetail are going to be inside that anyway. And I guess if you went to the iron wheel, the regular iron wheel, it's going to be more accurate. Super sharp head, very well built. So, yeah, that would be my, right now, my fixed blade of choice. But, again, I've got an idea in the back of my head of something that we might could do some uh, uh, hybrid with that, that – uh, be pretty sporty. So hopefully I'll get some time to work on that this fall. All right. What do we got next here? What is your scent control regiment and do you use ozonics? Scent control regiment. Uh, I'm a shower guy. Uh, I use that phase stuff in um, have it in in the showers during hunting season whether it be at the office or here at the house so I, I'll shower down with the phase stuff I wash all my clothes in the phase uh, scent free detergents I keep them in a tote or a scent free bag and most of the time we'll get dressed at the at the truck and then hop on the bike or walk into where I'm going you know, to be honest, I don't get carried away with that stuff. You, you know, I I feel like the more you can do, it's not going to hurt you, but you're not going to kill your scent. You, you know, you, you hear about these guys wearing this, these suits and this clothing, and I've tried it all. I've done it all. I've gone as far as having a separate washer and dryer, rubber gloves, you know, the, the whole thing from – rubber gloves with the with the clothing that is quote unquote carbon and it from the dryer reactivated into the scent free bag to the woods dress you know outside of the truck you know that stuff only sees hunting and then it's washed again and still have deer get downwind and smell you i mean south carolina is probably one of the best places to test that stuff because it's hot early and you you can just guaranteed that you 
if, if the deer get downwind of you, does, bucks, it doesn't matter what it is, they're going to smell you no matter what you've done. And anybody that doesn't agree with that, I challenge you to come down here and I want to see it and we'll video it. We'll get a, a big bait pile going with some does coming to it and get you upwind or, excuse me, downwind of that bait pile and we'll film it and see what happens. But I am 100% certain we're going to get smelled and it's going to be a problem. Ozonics, not a fan. Um, I've tried them multiple, multiple times. I've got video footage of from last year of two two-year-old bucks that came in when I had the Ozonics turned on. And I don't think they were smelling me, but they were smelling the ozone, and the, it freaked them out. And I got video of this. The Ozonics running, first of all, which I don't like because I can't hear. Uh, I thought they had quieted them quieted them down, but they're still really loud with that motor running, and I can't. I love to be able to hear because it only takes one twig snap to, to cue you up and, and, and get you really focused, and I, I can't hear that well with it running. And these bucks came in, and these were two-year-olds. They, they, they came into a big muscadine find that I was hunting, and I got the video footage. And they come in, and the wind is from it's, – it's a light, 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 light wind from them to me, and it's hot, and thermals are dropping – and they absolutely smelled something that they did not like, and they backed out of there. And it's all, I got all this on video. They turned around and backed out of there. I turned the Ozonics off, and I'm serious, 30 to 40 minutes later, here comes the 10-point I wanted to shoot. He came in like not a thing in the world was bothering him. The exact same trail they were on came in, looped around, and I shot him at about eight yards. And that, that was the, the, the final deal with me and Ozonics. I'd also tried it a couple times in Kansas and gotten smelled. And I, I would be interested to talk to somebody that has used Ozonics and never gotten busted. And if anybody out there has uh, that's happened to them, please message me on Instagram at Joe Miles Hunting and let's talk about it because I'd, I'd love to hear more about it. Uh, but yeah, not a not a fan of the Ozonics, and but but I you know what's crazy about that is I've got a couple buddies that are big buck killers that swear by Ozonics. They one of them uses two of them every time he goes. So I guess in in my scenario, I, I guess the thermals could have changed, the wind could have picked up, or whatever. But I, I still don't get why those young deer blew out of well they didn't blow out but they backed out of there and it freaked them out whatever it was they were smelling uh so that's my spiel on ozonics not trying to be long-winded here guys all right moving right along uh, do you use a back bar on your bow yes i do i do use a back bar and i can't remember exactly how many ounces i want to say i've got six of the one-ounce weights on there, I set mine up a little bit different. I don't run mine out the back of the riser. I actually have a knuckle on the front of the riser where the front stabilizer goes, and it brackets out off of that, and then it shoots back. And the reason I do that is in, in a tree stand, 
you know, some of the trees I get in, I got limbs and stuff, and, and I want that back bar not sticking way out and way back so I can whip the bow around or move the bow around without it hitting into everything. And so I put a little bit more weight on it, but I don't have it sticking out as far back and, and moving it to that front where the front stabilizer is with that knuckle or that bracket gives me like four more inches of, of the stabilizer not sticking out the back. So that's how I do that. But, yeah, I love a back bar. It really balances the bow out well and highly recommend them. It's helped my shooting a, a lot. If All right, here we go. If you had to get one setup of ICO gear, what would it be? Mm, that is a good question. Huh. I, our Sherpa line stuff is, is definitely the most popular and probably covers the longest part of the season that most guys hunt. Because you can wear that stuff with, with like a T-shirt underneath it and, and no base layer. You can wear that in the 40s and then even the upper 40s. Heck, you make it even wear it in the, in the low 50s. It'd be a little hot there in the, low, in the low 50s. But let's just say upper 40s all the way down to the low 20s because that stuff's windproof and if you layer up underneath it. So I would say Sherpa jacket. Sherpa pants, uh, maybe the Sherpa bibs. That that Sherpa line is really good. Uh, if I was looking for like a southeast setup that could get you through most of the season, I would do our early season top, our midweight pant, our vest, our Sherpa jacket, and Sherpa pants. Th- those would be the ones that I would get. Again, that would be our early season top, our mid-weight pant, Sherpa jacket, Sherpa pants, and our core warmth vest. So that would be, uh, that would be for, for southeast, that's going to get you, you could, you could wear that early season hoodie and those mid-weight pants with the zippers down on the, on the vents, not the, not the front zipper, Lucas, the, the side zips. <laughs> uh. It's derailed. Uh, so, so yeah, the side heat dump zips, you could have those down, and you could wear those in the 90-degree heat with that early season top, and then you could layer the vest on top of that and start getting colder, and then you could layer that stuff with some base layers underneath the Sherpa stuff, and that's going to get you all the way down into the low 20s. So you could go from 90 to 20 with that setup. Not 20, but, you know, 23, 24, somewhere around there. So, yeah, that, that would be the system that I would get. If I only wanted one, one set, it would be the Sherpa jacket and pants. And then that in, in the southeast, you know, when you get out to the Midwest, you know, that's when we start talking about 25-mile-an-hour winds, getting down into the teens or even zero, and that's where you're going to need to get into the late-season bibs, late-season jacket, and really layer up correctly. But the Sherpa jacket, Sherpa pants would be my go-to if I could only get one setup. All right. Does ICO offer a military or first responder discount? 
Yes, we do. We've set it up under the GovX. So you guys that are first responders and military law enforcement, first of all, we really appreciate everything that you do. I've got a lot of good buddies that are in the military or have been in the military, and we support the heck out of that. And so, yeah, we, we've got a, a good discount program set up under GovX. If you're not familiar with that and you are one of these folks, you just go to the GovX website, set up your account, and then you can go into ICO. You can buy it right through there and, and buy ICO at the discount. And there's free shipping included. So, yes, we do offer military discounts. All right. When will the new Mobile Hunter backpack, the compact pack, be for sale and ready to ship? So... Again, I, I think I touched on this earlier in the podcast. That mobile hunting pack, man, guys are gobbling that thing up. They went on pre-sale today, and they should be in the middle to end of August. And so, yeah, they're, they're on sale right now. They went on sale this morning on pre-sale, and they should be shipping the middle to end of August, and we'll get them out as soon as they come in. We did buy a bunch of them, so I, I'm afraid we're going to sell out again, but um, hopefully – if you're listening to this podcast, you can jump on quick and, and grab one. What boots do you use for hot weather and cold weather? All right, boots. So I've got a bunch of different boots. Early season, if it's not super wet, I use these little Solomon. They're, they're like a hiking shoe. Um, speed cross. I've actually got them on right now. Speed cross sevens or sixes, they're, they're, they don't even come up over your ankle, but they're, you can really walk quiet. They, they keep your feet good and cool. They, they've got spread out treads, so if you do have to walk through a little bit of mud, it's not going to cake on there. And I really, really like those boots early season because they're so cool and so quiet. And I will wear those as much as I possibly can. Uh, they are they're rubber sold, so helps you know with your ground scent some. So I really like those. If it's super wet, I, I've just got some muck boots that I've had that I you know, that I keep in my garage and keep away from a bunch of different scent. Um, so I'll I'll use those regular muck boots. When it's really really wet, I've you know I am not a huge rubber boot guy. Uh, I do wear those some when it's wet and I, or if I've got to cross some creeks or something like that I, w- I will wear the rubber boots I also wear hiking boots I've got some S- Solomon hiking boots I've got some crisp hiking boots I think they're called the Thor twos and then I've got some Loa hiking boots all these are like ankle or a little bit above ankle I'll wear those uh, just depending on what you know kind of what I feel like but those are all really good strong boots that if you've got to do some hiking you're into some terrain they're going to hold up really well give you plenty of ankle support and then late season I did a video on the Joe Miles hunting YouTube channel on keeping your feet warm I am a big Kenetrek guy I love their late season pack boots and I actually had these in Texas one year and got picked on all these guys had snake boots on and their feet froze and I had these Canadian mountain pack boots but my feet stayed warm. It's a, again, a Canadian pack boot that's got a 
liner that goes inside of it, and then they've got a liner sock and their late-season mountaineering sock. So I'll wear that liner sock, and then I'll have the mountaineering sock and then those late-season boots. And, man, my feet just don't get cold anymore. And I think a lot of it has to do with that liner, that Kenetrek liner sock. It pulls a ton of moisture away from your foot. So if you do have a, a, a good bit of hiking, it, it's going to keep your foot dry or your feet dry. And then that wool mountaineering sock over the top just locks all that heat in. And then that boot is super well constructed. And it has like a fensilate liner, boot liner that's, I don't know, it's five or 600 grams. And it's an incredible system. And I've worn that thing in Alberta during the rut. I've worn it in Kansas in negative 10. That system is really good on the feet. Again, it's Kenetrek. The uh, Mountain Extreme Boot, their, their, or Mountain Pack Boot, their liner sock, it's up, you know, it's like just under the knee, liner sock, and then their heavy-duty mountaineering sock. That system right there is magic. All right, guys, we're getting close to the end here. Let's see. Mobile Hunter. Uh, what is your self-filming setup? Okay, I have a little Lone Wolf Custom Gear camera arm that I use, and then I've got a Gitzo carbon fiber head that goes on it that's really light. And then what's that camera that we use? It's a Sony. Sony, what, what's the number on it? Do you remember? S XA53. Lucas says XA53. Sorry, I can't ever remember that. But it's a little small handy cam that's 4K. Lightweight, fits right in your pack. Simple, simple to use. I use a very zoom that plugs into the side of it and then hooks to the <coughs> the fluid head bar. And that, that makes it really simple. Very zoom that goes into that, that Sony camera. And then this year... We've played around with it. I, I played around with it on the bear hunt. I played around with it on the hog hunt. And then Lucas and I used it in Texas on the Axis deer hunt, this Insta360. And the one we had been using was their standard base one. And the one we moved to is XA3. The XA3 Insta360. X3 Insta360, sorry, X3 Insta360. It has a remote control. I will say there's obviously a learning curve to the remote control because we had it in the booth in Alabama. And I think what you have to do is cut, Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong, you turn the camera on and let it go to sleep mode. And then the remote will work. But if you ha if you cut the camera off, the remote is not going to cut it on. There is, however, according to Mr. Rendell Eric, an aftermarket remote that we need to look into. And we'll report back to you on that, that you can just hook to like your bino harness or, or your, you know, just have in your pocket that you can just click a button that turns on the camera and then click another button and it records, but we're going to have to really look into that and see. That sounds way too good to be true, but I would not doubt Mr. Rendell Eric. The Insta360, what's good about that? It literally films 
360 degrees. So it's up, down, left, right, all around. You're getting a POV and you're potentially capturing the shot like we did in Texas. You could see the axis deer coming in. You could also see me drawing. And so it's a it's a deadly combination. And a matter of fact, we, we tested it. And, and you can post-production, you can zoom in out to about 15 yards and that's about as far as you can go but I'm sure that technology is going to continue to evolve. And when you can zoom in to, say, 30, 40 yards, that'll be the only camera I run. I'll just hook it onto the front of my platform and use that remote control, cut it on. It's going to capture everything in any direction. And then when you go to edit, you can zoom in on the on the shot. So that'll be money. So Insta360, I'm certain you guys are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Hurry up and uh, get that Zoom feature. Because that, that will be incredible to be able to do that. So that's my mobile or self-filming setup. Pretty basic, but does the job. Uh, let's see. Two more, guys. What do you uh, Do you only check SD card cameras on rainy days, or do you pull the cards at different times? Uh, I will, it depends on the time of the year. If it's early season, I guess it depends on a lot of stuff. If it's early season, I will try and only go in during a monsoon, even if it's that's 3 o'clock in the morning, and pull a card. If it's in season, man, I need to know what's going on. Uh, I guess what, what would be different for – for me, is I like to have my cameras in the areas I'm going to hunt. You know, you hear a lot of guys about say, hey, I just want to know that the deer's there and then I can go kill him. And and I do too. I want to know that, that the deer's there. But I, I want to get as much live intel and daylight photos of him in the area that, that I can kill him. You know, that I, I love that live intel or that in his area intel. So... When I go in to check those cards, a lot of times I'll go in and hunt and then on my way out have to come by that camera and I'll swap the SD cards out. So I'll I'll make it a point that if I'm going to go check the camera, that that's going to be a day that I'm going to hunt in there. And so I'm going in anyway. So that's a, I guess that's a tip. Also, man, you you, you just got to go check it. So I'll just go in there. You know, a, a good windy day, you know, is good, but... I need to know what's going on, so I just it, the 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 risk reward thing, you know, it is risky to go in there, but that reward of going in there, pulling a camera, and having a the, the buck you're after ha, has come through there four or five times in daylight. Man, I mean, you you can you can go right back in there right then and 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 hunt him. So yeah, it, it, I, I don't get too worked up about that, and and like freak out about having to go in and check cards. I need to know what's going on, and the risk-reward is is definitely worth it just to absolutely go in there. I mean, you know, if, if you're not going to go and hunt, try and go in there, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning after everything's settled down, and then when stuff gets up in the afternoon, your sense out of there as much as possible. I mean, be, use common sense, but my vote is go in there, get the camera, card, check it. And, and that's another reason I love – these cell cams is it, it, it prevents you from having to do that, but a lot of times you got to change the batteries out more often. So there's definitely give and take, but just use common sense and 
put that in the back of your mind. Hey, I got to go check this camera. I, why don't I go in there and hunt it and then pull the card and see what's going on. Or, you you know, you can go in there, walk by the camera, and the way they've got these card readers now on your phone, you can pull the card, switch it out, climb up in the tree, and look and see what's on there right there in the tree. So that's my uh, thoughts on checking camera cards. All right, and the last question. So we, we boogied right through these. Last question of the day. What is your favorite podcast other than Mission Whitetail to listen to? That's a good one. Favorite podcast. I really like the Chasing Giants podcast with Don and Terry. They're, they're just such good guys, religious fellas, um, you know, just, just good, wholesome guys. Don and both of them. Terry, you know, they're, they're big buck killers. Don has danced with a ton of 200-inch deer. He's got another big deer that he's chasing this year. He's got the Whitetail Master Academy. The, the, the amount of free information that man has given out is, is unbelievable. Uh, food plots, tactics, farms, setting up farms. I mean, his generosity is 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 limitless i mean you you can message him and he'll get back to you so i i really like their podcast i like the truth from the stand podcast i think that's a good one uh let's see i know i'm leaving out some uh the bow hunting chronicles podcast i've listened to that those guys over at latitude they do a good job with their podcast uh, Andre DeQuisto and Cody, when, when they had their podcast going, chock full of good information. So I think those are those are all great podcasts. And guys, if you're listening to this and you've got a podcast out there and I didn't mention you, I'm sorry. Um, my, my brain's drawing a blank right now. But all of those are really good podcasts. Um, so that's it, guys. That's the end of the question and answer. And like I said, next week we'll uh, get – Speaking of Don and Terry, we'll be doing a collab podcast with them to kind of get a season update, see what their plans are, see what they've got going on with their food plots. I know that new Nutri-Crave corn, I heard this last night. Lucas and I listened to the podcast on the way back from Alabama. I hear they're getting up close to 300 bushel an acre, and that's going to be the Nutri-Crave feed corn that uh, us southern boys in bait states can put out to feed deer. So be on the lookout for those uh, or, or for that. And apparently the deer, Terry tested this stuff in Kentucky, and they will step over regular corn to get to this Nutri-Crave. So if you're feeding this and your neighbor's feeding something else, I think you're going to have an advantage. Guys, that's all we got for this week. I really appreciate it. And as always, any feedback, any ideas, any questions, please submit them. And, we'll, you know, down the road we'll do another episode like this where we do a Q&A. Take care, guys. Season is fast approaching shoot your bow get elevated and we'll be back with you soon thanks boys